Susan, butcher box to the rescue. The other night we had some friends over for dinner and we had no idea what to make. And I was like, guess what? We have a freezer full of meat. So my husband went down and thought out some chicken from butcher box and made the best cocoa van that we've had in a long, long time. Yeah, you'd have been screwed without butcher box because I know you ain't got no time to go to the store right now. That's true. I don't have time to go shop for meat or pick out the meat or find the best quality, low-priced meat. So ButcherBox does all of that for me. So true story, my husband's workplace has a Slack channel called Smoked Meats. And I know you can't like win a workplace conversation, but he is now because with ButcherBox, his great cuts of meat to the door, they can cook up and take photos of for his workmates. <laughs> I love ButcherBox and I think other people would too. ButcherBox is the ultimate convenience, delivered right to your doorstep, free shipping always, with curated, customized box plans. It's 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork, raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. There are a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value with exclusive membership deals. They also provide recipe inspiration, guides, tips, and hacks. Sign up at butcherbox.com proof and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer, plus an additional 20% off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com proof and use code proof to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. If you're listening to this show, then I'm going to guess you're a fan of True Crime Podcasts. So in the mornings, grab your favorite mug and pour yourself a dose of spine-tingling true crime every a.m. with Morning Cup of Murder. It's a short daily show that's the perfect podcast to incorporate into your morning routine. In less than 15 minutes, you'll hear about a true crime that took place on today's date in history. Each day's dark history lesson will kickstart your morning with intriguing tales of murder, abduction, serial killers, cults, and more. So pour yourself a piping hot cup of murder every single morning with Morning Cup of Murder. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. There were only ever two pieces of evidence that linked Lee Clark directly to the death of Brian Bowling, and they were Angela Bruce and Charlie Childers. But Angela Bruce recanted, so that leaves only Charlie. Charlie had been watching TV at the Bowling's trailer when Brian was shot, and according to Sergeant Dallas Battle, Charlie told him that right after the shot went off, he glanced out a window and seen Lee Clark running through the front yard. But is that really what Charlie told Sergeant Battle? Because Charlie is deaf, and Sergeant Battle didn't have an interpreter with him when he spoke to Charlie. And even with an interpreter, Charlie's ability to communicate is limited. He apparently went to the Georgia School of the Deaf for a couple years. Yeah, so he went and... Yeah. But then his parents isolated him. His mom was lower than mercy. Thought I was a devil. <laughs> Apparently, he had the ability to speak in high school, like when he was in the deaf community. And then his parents took him away, and he was isolated and regressed. Yeah. Even though communicating with Charlie was going to be difficult, we had to try. We needed to ask him what he'd seen at the bowling's trailer that night. But first, we'd have to find him. During our initial trip to Rome, Jacinda and I had spent nearly two weeks scouring Silver Creek for Charlie and his brother Wayne. We had lots of leads to follow, but all of them came to dead ends. The guy I talked to, I, I was like, so like, why are they moving around so much? And he's like, well, Wayne has to keep moving and Charlie follows him. I don't know what that means. We hadn't given up on finding Charlie, but we'd run out of ideas for how to track him down. Then, on our second to last day in Rome, we stopped by to visit Phil Story, Kane's uncle, to ask him some follow-up questions. Did y'all ever meet the children's man? We, we can't find him. Yeah. Okay, somebody, let's see, where'd they tell me he lived now? They don't live down there no more. I'm thinking over here on Park Road. Where'd you hear that from? Across from Rhonda's, I forget. I, I was telling somebody about y'all coming to talk to me. And they said they don't live there no more. They live over here off Park Road. Let's go drive down Park Road. Park it was worth a try anyway. So Jacinda and Dan and I headed off to track down one last lead on Charlie Childers' whereabouts. Let's see if we can find someone to ask about Charlie. Help oh, people stand out there. Let's go do it. Hey, do you guys know Charlie? 
Deaf Charlie? Deaf? Is he deaf? Mm-hmm. I'll take a look back there and uh, you go that way. Yep. Back there. He's back there. Do yeah, you know? Red car back Do you there. Red, red car? car? Yeah. All right. Thank you. I can't believe I just asked some random person if they know Deaf Charlie. <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah. I mean, this is honestly, this is the closest we've gotten to finding Charlie. I know, Charlie I'm feeling like excited. <laughs> yeah. Hi, my name is Susan Simpson. I'm an attorney and podcaster, and previously I hosted the Undisclosed Podcast. Hi, I'm Jacinda Davis, and I'm a true crime TV producer. Last year, Susan and I decided to team up and reinvestigate the murder of Brian Bowling. Along with Kevin Fitzpatrick, president of Red Marble Media, we decided to launch Proof. You can listen to Proof like you would any podcast, and you can follow us everywhere with the handle at ProofCrimePod and on our website, ProofCrimePod.com. Just a note for our listeners... This week's episode features an interview with a deaf witness. In order to fully document it, we had Dan there to film, and we'll be uploading the video to our YouTube channel later this week. We'll be discussing that video and everything else in this week's episode in this Thursday's sidebar, so don't forget to check the video out. Our YouTube channel is at Proof Crime Pod. Thanks for listening, and welcome to Proof. The tip we got from Phil's story turned out to be a good one. We found multiple people who knew Charlie, and they directed us to a house where they thought he might be living. What do you think? Should we just go knock on that door? (laughs) It's like a one in a million shot, but sure, why not? All right. We come back later. We have a notebook? We need a notebook. Right. I mean, I. It seems like someone's home. But he's not in the place. If it's just him, though, that would explain it. I feel like we're so close. Yeah. We have gotten closer than we have. Jeez. We didn't make contact with anyone at the house that day. But it really seemed like we might have gotten close to finding Charlie. We updated Kevin on our progress. Oh, and guess who found uh, Charlie? We may have. Oh, man. (laughs) So you know that picture I sent you with the Jesus sign? Yeah. We think that's where Charlie and Wayne are, or at least Charlie is living right now. It was our last full day in Floyd County. We were supposed to be flying out the following afternoon. But the next morning, before heading out, we went back to the house, hoping that Charlie or Wayne or both of them might be home. All right, back to Wayne and Charlie's. What do we think? They're gone. They're gone. No, no, they're here. (laughs) Charlie and his brother Wayne were home. We'd finally found them. We spoke to them for a little over an hour before heading back to the car to figure out what to do next. I actually feel like I might throw up because it's like so heartbreaking. God, it's so. That was that. Wrist hurts. <laughs> the hardest interview I've ever done in terms of trying to do it right. We didn't get very far before we pulled over to call Kevin and updated him on what had happened. Hey there. What's up? We just had a conversation with Charlie. Can you have a conversation with Charlie? Yes. Yeah. Sort of. Yes. What did he say? He said that Josh shouldn't be in prison and Josh is mad and he's sorry. Oh, man. Um, yeah. He has a lot to say. He has things to say. And it feels like, I kept feeling like I'm the failure. Like, Charlie clearly knows what he wanted to tell me, and I could not 
he has something to say. It, it's like he's been waiting 25 years for someone to listen to what he's saying. And I'm asking the wrong questions. It's also very difficult because the way he communicates is open-ended and you can insert your own interpretation right. and layer your, your own understanding over it. It's really hard to constantly check your questions and make sure there's no premise there that you're assuming that, that Charlie's not not right. there with you on. Because whatever, whatever he's saying, you can you can support whatever, yeah. Yeah, could be the perfect example of confirmation bias. Like, are we reading into it what we want him to be saying? But we're communicating by Susan is writing questions and he's answering yes or no. I'm trying to spell out things, you know, sign language. You know sign language? She, do, she knows letters. I know the alphabet. Um, it's also hard to totally recapture the conversation because the way he communicates is like sort of interactive and like he'll reference previous writings and point at that, then point at another one and loop them together. You should definitely get the interpreter and see if you can do it tonight. So just take me through now so I make sure I understand. The, the big points. He says Josh shouldn't be in jail, and he's sorry. Meaning that I asked who shot Brian. Not a great question. And he he kept pointing at Brian, like where I wrote Brian. He'd point at that, and then wrote yes. So I wrote Brian shot Brian, and he was very emphatic and nodding. Like he said yes. It's not clear when, but at some point he saw Brian with, with a, a gun, gun. pointed at himself. And he tried to tell Brian not to do that, and Brian shot the gun, which is something no one else has told us. At least three different times during our first conversation with Charlie, he told us a story through a combination of gestures and writing notes about seeing Brian with a gun. He told a story several times, which I'm pretty sure was him saying, I saw Brian get a gun. I, I, meaning Charlie, tried to stop Brian. Hit, hit his hand down and said, he, don't play with gun. Like, that is absolutely what he's trying to tell us. I said, uh, Charlie tried to stop Brian. Yes. Brian did not listen. Yes. And then I asked him, I was trying to ask him about the gun. And I don't know what he was trying to communicate. Brother, room, Danny... What do you think that was about? I was confused about that. Like, is there a brother named Danny? Danny. Do they have a brother named Danny? Talking to Charlie was difficult to begin with, but it was made even harder by Charlie's brother, Wayne. Charlie had been friendly and happy to talk to us. Wayne had not wanted to talk to us at all. He hadn't wanted Charlie to talk to us either, and the whole time he had hovered nearby, monitoring our conversation. And at one point I texted Dan. Well, I was already trying to do that. Yeah. And then, yeah. I texted Dan, like, keep Wayne talking, because Wayne came over at one point and told Charlie to be quiet. Um, In a combination of verbal and physical gestures yeah and, but what did he tell us he was telling him i said something like listen wayne i promise you charlie's not gonna get in trouble for anything he tells us and he said i'm just telling him to tell you the truth <laughs> which is a very Meanwhile, weird sign for truth <laughs> you know the finger to your lips with the shh Oddly, though, Wayne seemed to alternate between trying to stop us from talking to Charlie to, at times, actually helping us, offering some assistance and trying to understand what Charlie was trying to say. Wayne is saying he's told you more than he's ever told anybody about this. He wants to tell you. He wants to get it all out. After that first meeting with Charlie, we realized two things. The first was that we needed to change our flights so that we could come back and talk to Charlie again. And the second was that we needed to make sure we had an interpreter with us when we did. So we have to call the interpreter and see if he's available because if he is, I feel like we need to get this now because who knows where Charlie and Wayne will be. I said, thank you for talking to us. And I said, we'll try to come back with Mike Burton, the interpreter. And he wrote, I am talk, I love you. And then underlined Mike Burton several times, making it like he was like, I love Mike Burton. Because Mike Burton taught him how to talk. Mike Burton is the father of Gola Burton, who'd been the interpreter at Lees and Kane's trial. 
Mike is an interpreter as well, and he'd offered to help us talk to Charlie if we ever found him. Oh, here, this is him. Hello. Hey, Susan, this is Mike Burton. Excuse me, did you find him? I don't know. I'll be around tomorrow. That'd be fantastic. We could pick you up around noon. That'll work. Alrighty, well, we'll see you then. The next day, we had everything in place for our interview with Charlie Childers. It's our last day in Rome. Supposed to be already on the way back, but we did some last minute logistical shuffling because this is important and the stars may never align like this again. So we're on our way to pick up Mike Burton. I mean, when you guys mentioned um, Mike, Charlie was very excited. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was... Well, you know who also was excited? Wayne. It's true, which is a good sign because, uh, you know, as I've expressed, I'm a little worried about Wayne trying to stop things today. When we'd mentioned trying to come back with Mike Burton, Wayne had seemed relieved. He told us that he'd been having some trouble with Charlie lately. Charlie had seemed upset, but Wayne had no way of talking to him to find out what was wrong. Having Mike Burton there would give Wayne a chance to talk to Charlie, too. We picked up Mike Burton and headed back to Charlie's. On the way, we gave him an update on how our meeting the previous day had gone. One thing we do a lot while investigating is sign up for newspapers. Local papers all over the country try and track down some scrap of info from, I don't know, the random 2007 edition of the Memphis paper, just for hypothetical example. (laughs) Hypothetical. But the problem is, we always forget to cancel those subscriptions. Luckily, there's a solution for people like us who sometimes lose track of things. And that's Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, you get full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of your expenses. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. That's amazing. That's, that's all I want in life is for someone to always deal with customer service for me. It's like having a personal assistant. Rocket Money has over 5 billion users and has saved them over $500 billion and saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash proof. That's rocketmoney.com slash proof. Rocketmoney.com slash proof. Susan, it's no secret that I have been taking Nutrafol and loving it for a few months now. Susan, have you gotten your Nutrafol yet? I finally did. I'm on the Nutrafol train and I'm really excited because, not going to lie, my hair's been a hot mess this whole season. I think this season has impacted both of our hair in not great ways. Our sanity, our health, and definitely like like ripping hair out in frustration sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But thankfully, Nutrafol is there to help. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Thinning hair is different for men and women, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth doesn't cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your biology. Take the hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code PROOF. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com. Promo code PROOF. That's Nutrafol.com. Promo code PROOF. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
want to make sure we actually understood right yeah that he was emotional about he actually he put my hand in like a like gun. a gun and then he grabbed my wrist and put it down and just went no 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 like saying it, we couldn't tell whether he was saying he stopped someone or tried to stop someone when we pulled up at the house we weren't certain if charlie would still be there we knew if he wasn't we might lose our one shot to ever truly speak to him Who's that? Oh, Charlie. Charlie? There he is. For this interview, recording audio alone wouldn't cut it. Without visuals, you wouldn't truly have a record of what Charlie was trying to say. So Dan set up his camera, and I started recording video on my phone. Charlie began sounding to Mike even before he asked her first question, and Mike relayed to us what Charlie was saying. He's talking about the shooting, and he thought that he was going to jail, and the police came to him. One of his friends was a cop and told him that, uh, no, he wasn't going to jail, and it was these other guys. We asked Charlie to tell us again what he'd been trying so hard to tell us the day before, about how Brian had been playing with a gun and Charlie had tried to stop him. The boy that did the shooting he pulled something no, out of a drawer, no, told no, him, no, no, don't, no, don't, no, no don't get that, no, don't get no, that gun. Said, no, 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 don't get the gun. The boy just playing with it, put it down. Told him, put it back, put it down. And then the boy later, he got the gun out. And I told him again, no. And then he shot himself in the mouth. The cop kept asking me, did you do it? And I said, no, I didn't do it. No, it was somebody else. And uh, Wayne and the cops were talking, and and uh, he didn't do it. He shot himself in the mouth. I don't know what happened. I didn't. I didn't see it. I was sitting in there, and uh, well, I shook him. But Kenneth and the brother and Mike and all four of them were in there, and then we all went to the funeral together. We hugged each other at the funeral. They buried him over in Bartow County. Yeah, it's over by this parish. And that's where the grave was in that area. And after all the funeral stuff, the next week everything quieted down and uh, it was over with. Charlie had a detailed memory of Brian being shot, but his details were all wrong. For instance, Charlie's description of where Brian was buried. He had such a precise memory of it. But Brian was buried in Floyd County, not Bartow County, like Charlie was saying. And one thing Charlie kept mentioning was a window. The boys were just playing in the bedroom, and there was a window on that side. Yeah, I was watching a, some kind of death program on TV. He mentioned a window. What was the context of the window? I turned on the light, and uh, and I saw him shoot himself. And I saw Brian shoot himself, and the blood went everywhere. And then just like that, he was gone. There was smoke and blood, and and I went. I was just, I was just, yeah exhausted and then Amanda came and and she was shocked when she saw it Brian he's the one that got the gun out of the drawer and he did the shooting I didn't see all of that that's when Wayne interrupted us 
He'd been lurking nearby the whole time we'd been talking to his brother, but he hadn't wanted to be on camera, so he'd mostly stayed out of the way. But now, he had something he wanted to tell us. Hold on, y'all. Hold on. He's getting all confused. He's talking about a boy got killed at a house at my house. Uh, house. Uh, Which house? Uh, Who got killed at your house? I ain't going to have that. Well, it helped us to clarify with Charlie. Who, who got... He is getting confused here. But who's the... What happened in the other shooting? See, he thank you. What was the other shooting, though? It was asking. Wayne told us that Charlie wasn't talking about Brian Bowling's death at all. He was talking about a different shooting. A different boy who'd been killed. Though, Wayne was cagey about the details of this other supposed shooting. I had already been expecting Wayne to try to interfere with the interview, so part of me wondered if that's what was going on here. But Wayne was insistent. Charlie was talking about a different boy's death. Ma, would you ask him, is it Greg Coral he's talking about? Greg? Greg Coral. Coral. Was he sitting on the side of the bed? Yeah, yeah, Greg was sitting on the bed. He's talking about the wrong one, because Brian went... He was in the living room when Brian got shot. Yeah, when Brian got shot, yeah, I was watching TV. I was in the living room. Living. See, he's getting, he's getting confused here. A boy named Greg Cole got killed at my house one night. And Charlie's seen that. So Charlie's getting confused yeah, with Brian uh, and Greg. Because when he said he said Brian shot his head, they went Brian. Right, he didn't see it. So all this he's telling y'all is confusing. After a lot of prompting, Wayne finally started to explain. Sometime before Brian died, a young boy had been shot and killed at the Childers' house. The gun had belonged to Charlie's uncle, Danny. That's the Danny that Charlie had kept mentioning the first time he'd spoken to him, and we'd been confused about. But after Wayne explained that there had been two different shootings, we finally started to understand what Charlie was trying to say. Wayne continued to interrupt, though, so I pulled him to the side and struck up a conversation with him while Jacinda kept talking to Charlie. So, did you ever go to the police and tell them Charlie had seen something? They couldn't talk to us about it. The report says that you went to them. No? Uh-uh. The report says that you came to them and said my brother Charlie... They called the house. Dallas did. Mm-hmm. So... They come to the house, and they talk to us. What they want to talk to you about? What we know. Did they ask you what if Charlie had seen anyone? Did you know that Charlie had seen someone? Do you think Charlie saw someone? I can't say for sure. What Wayne was saying surprised me. The official story, the one the Dallas Battle gave when he testified at trial, is that it was Wayne who first contacted investigators, and he who told them that Charlie had seen someone run by a window outside of the bowling's trailer. But Wayne insisted to me that this didn't happen. Dallas Battle had called him, he said. In fact, Wayne said that before the police came and talked to Charlie, he hadn't known that Charlie had seen someone outside the trailer. Though, Wayne was skeptical that Charlie had seen anyone at all. Why was Charlie in court? Do you remember? And he, he came and he seen everything and he heard everything. I don't understand how he heard it. What did he see? I don't know. I went inside the courtroom when he was on trial. At trial, Charlie had said over and over again that when Brian Bowling was shot at the Bowling's trailer, there had been only Kane's story with Brian. Only one went in there, Charlie said. Story was the only one. Only story. But at times, when we were talking to him, Charlie seemed to be saying something different. He said Josh was in the bedroom with Brian with another guy. I don't know who the other guy was. There were three of them in there. Yeah, Josh was with him, and I don't know who the third guy was. How does he know there's a third guy? I was looking out the window, and then I went around. It happened. I don't know how it happened, why it happened. If you think Charlie is talking about how Brian Bowling died, then you'd naturally start to make certain assumptions about what he's trying to say here. 
If Josh and Brian were in a bedroom, but Charlie's saying there's a third guy there too, well, that third guy has to be Lee Clark, right? Except, according to Wayne, when Charlie was telling us about three boys in the bedroom, he was not talking about Brian Bowling at all. I saw this guy go by the window. I don't know who he was. He was their friend, I guess. I don't know who he was. Brian's friend. That was a group of them, you know. And I don't know, you know, I told him not to get that gun and not shoot himself, and I grabbed him. I did. Y'all need to stop it right there. He's getting all confused. He's getting confused. I see, he's thinking. <laughs> Y'all talking about that. Yeah. Very cool. They're not talking about the boy. They're talking about the other oh, one. Yeah. You talking about the one. I got, know him. You talking about the one got killed at the eye house. Yeah, no, they ain't talking about him. <laughs> he keeps coming oh, yeah. back. See? He keeps coming back to that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not talking about the trailer. Oh, I'm talking about my house. Yeah, what happened in there? They don't want to know about that. No. Yeah. Ricky. Ricky. Ricky was on the telephone. Ricky? I'm not talking about the trailer, Charlie told us. I'm talking about my house. Charlie knew that a boy was also shot and killed at the bowling's trailer, but that was not the shooting he wanted to tell us about. Charlie wanted to talk about the boy who had died at his house. According to Wayne, that had been a boy named Greg Coral. Can you ask me, when Greg, when Greg died, did you see someone through a window? Yeah, yeah I did. I saw somebody go by the window. We asked Mike to stop interpreting for a moment and to tell us what he thought Charlie was trying to say. So what, what's your understanding of what the window was about? Sort of like Wayne, he's really mixing these two stories up. I don't know how you separate these two stories. Uh, he's certainly got them all, all intertwined. I had still been talking to Wayne off to the side, keeping him away from Charlie. That's when he made a suggestion, and this one was actually helpful. I believe y'all want the truth now. And everything else, we're gonna have to take him down there and let him show you. Wayne has a good point. If we want to know what Charlie saw, we gotta take him to the house. Is that possible? That's the only way y'all don't get the truth out of y'all. Just let him see the trailer. And y'all so let's, let's go. Let's go. We all climbed into the van with Charlie and headed to the bowling's trailer. On the way there, we asked Mike Burton how interpreting for Charlie had gone. It seemed like y'all were conversing pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he, his sign language is, we would call it sloppy. But it's But I understand it, yeah, I understand it. I'll say this, maybe the, the little bit I've seen him in the last few years, has helped me understand him more. Mike Burton was just as lost as we were, though, when it came to unraveling Charlie's conflated memories. I mean, that's fascinating that he's got these two stories. Totally mixed up. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the detail in the second story, uh, the blood splatter. It sounds like he saw something. Yeah, I mean, he's talking about the pistol in the mouth brains being splattered on the walls, the way he talks about the bed and the bookshelves. And he's got a lot of detail in that for him. He also seems really concerned about like that he might have been in trouble or he thought that he might Oh yeah, oh extremely. Well, I'm confused about why he thought that he could ever be in trouble for either of these shootings. Well, that's back to being deaf. Deaf people often get blamed for things they don't do. Charlie probably has been blamed for a lot of things through the years. No wonder Charlie's so nervous about Yeah, being the follow guy. I mean, I see it happen so many times, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 
Let's put it on this guy. When we got to the Bowling's trailer, Mike Burton interpreted for Charlie as he explained to us who had lived there. At the trailer. Rocky lived here, but he's dead now. Yeah, Ryan lives in my old home over there. Who does? My mother and father's home. Yeah. Ryan's mother and father's home right over there. You lived over there, and Brian lived over here with his mother and father. So who this was Rocky's house. As he was talking, Charlie was pointing towards the various locations he was describing. When talking about where Rocky Bowling, Brian's father, had lived, he pointed at the Bowling's trailer. When speaking about his own parents, he pointed across the highway towards the house he'd grown up in. And when he talked about Brian, he turned around and pointed up the hill to Kane Story's trailer. That, Charlie said, is where Brian had lived. At the time, this hadn't made any sense to us. Brian had lived here, at the trailer, where we were standing. He hadn't lived up the hill where Kane Story and his family had their trailer. So we asked Charlie if he knew someone had been shot at this trailer. Yes, he said, Ricky's brother. Then Charlie took us around to the back side of the trailer and walked up towards the window of the bedroom where Brian had been shot. I'm Morgan Rector, host of the Human Monsters True Crime Podcast. Do you find life boring within the comfort zone? This is the right show for you. It will test your endurance. The offenders profiled are among the most inhumane. These people specialize in the unthinkable. Human Monsters, available wherever you get your podcasts. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Every day in America, 60 million packages are delivered. But we don't always know what's inside. He bent down to pick the package up. That's when the device detonated. Danger is everywhere, and no one is safe in Austin, Texas, as law enforcement hunts a serial bomber for 19 days. From Sony Music Entertainment, Campside Media, and Pegalo Pictures, this is Witnessed. 19 days. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts to binge all episodes or listen weekly wherever you get your podcasts. That was the window where they were on the telephone. Yeah, that window right there. Which window was Brian's window? It wasn't Brian. And Brian didn't live here. He wasn't had nothing to do with this. It was Ricky. So what what is he showing us back here? Yeah, Ricky's brother, that was his room. Charlie insisted over and over that Brian had not died at this trailer. That had been a different boy that died here. He knows Brian was killed though, right? He said Ricky was killed over there. Tell him, I mean, we should just tell him Brian was killed here. Brian died here. Brian died here. No, Brian died at this house. Ricky's brother killed himself right here. Brian died in my house, shot himself in the mouth. Does he know we want to talk? about the night Brian died in this trailer. 
No, that happened at my house. Someone tell him Brian Bowling died in this house. No, he didn't. He died in my house. We couldn't figure out why Charlie was so certain that Brian had died at Charlie's house, or why he believed Brian had lived up the hill behind the cemetery where Kane's story lived. We wanted to make sure that Charlie actually knew who Brian Bowling was. So we showed him a photo of Brian, taken not long before he died. What? That's Ricky's brother. That's Ricky's Brian. brother. Yep. Car he bones. killed himself while using the phone. Yeah. Where did he die? He died here? Oh. Yep. Yep. I loved him too. Ricky's brother shot himself while he was on the phone. Brian shot himself over at my house. It took us a while before we finally understood what Charlie had been trying to tell us. Our questions had been all wrong. We were the ones causing the confusion. Because when Charlie was talking about Brian, he was not talking about Brian Bowling. The boy that Charlie calls Brian was another boy altogether, a boy who had been killed at the Childers' house. But Charlie had known a second boy who'd been shot and killed. This boy had also been a good friend of Charlie's. But Charlie told us he had forgotten his name. Charlie identified him as Ricky's brother. But he was talking about Brian Bowling. So when Ricky's brother died here, was he here? I heard the gunshot. I jumped up. And then I took out and went straight home. When Ricky's brother died here, was he in the living room? Yeah, I was in the living room and I heard the gunshot. Yeah. Yeah, I was scared. I heard the shot. It startled me and I got I got out of here. Now that we knew how to ask about the right shooting, we turned to the most important question that we had for Charlie. On the night Brian Bowling was shot, on the night Ricky's brother was shot, Charlie had been sitting in the living room of the trailer we were standing next to. Charlie, we asked, did you see a boy through the window running past the trailer? Charlie, you told the police you saw a boy through a window. No, I didn't. No, uh-uh. The police thought you told them about a boy that you saw through a window. They must have misunderstood. I didn't see anything out the window. I was just watching TV and talking with my brother. So I really don't know. It's not my fault. I didn't have anything to do with it. I got out of here. No one thinks it's your fault. Ricky's brother was on the telephone and he shot himself. And it startled all of us and I just got out of here. I don't know a thing about anybody running. I didn't see anybody. I didn't see anybody. Did the police ask you if you saw a boy? Over Brian's over at my house. Not here. They no, asked me over no. there. So uh -uh. you never Nothing saw a boy here outside? Nope. Nope. Nothing. Positive. Never. Nope. No. No way. To be absolutely certain that Charlie understood the question we were asking him, I reenacted what the prosecutor claimed Lee Clark had done on the night of the shooting and ran through the bowling's front yard. Had Charlie seen anyone running where I had run? So Charlie, you never saw someone run up through here? Never? I testified in court about what happened over there, not here. So I everything you said in court about seeing a boy out a window was about what happened over there? Yep, yep. They're separate. When you were in court, did you tell the court about the shooting that happened here at this house? No. What shooting did you tell the, the court about? Over there at my house. I never know what in this one. If all of this sounds confusing, well, yes, it is. Extremely so. At the trailer, Charlie could see how confused I was and how hard I was trying to make sense of everything. He came over and tapped me on the shoulder. Ask him, show him the first photo of the photo, Brian. <laughs> 
You all right? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so, trying to understand. <laughs> well, I'm just going to say, you know, we're confused. Yeah. We thought that you saw a boy through the window. No, 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 no. no. And the police thought you said that boy was coming here. So the police got him. They're wrong. They're just wrong. They're just wrong. Police are wrong. No, the police just misunderstood. That's not the what happened. But they thought that you saw him, so they arrested him, and now he's jailed. No, that's not it. That's not it. Mm -mm, no. No, this is two separate incidents. Charlie, the police thought that you saw a boy run up through here. No way. The police sent a boy no, to... Nope, that the didn't police happen. sent a boy to prison because yeah, the police have just made a mistake. After talking to Charlie, Susan and I had been left with many questions. There was a lot that we didn't yet understand, but we both felt certain about one thing. You never, never saw, saw a boy. Okay. Thank you, Charlie. Charlie, thank you. I'm sorry to bring us all up for you again. I think the police made a mistake. Whoever someone needs to talk to their boss, because I think they were confused. After we dropped Charlie back off at his home, we talked to Mike Burton about how the interview had gone. I like uh, Charlie's suggestion that someone talk to the, the cop's boss. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I was pretty astute, actually. Yeah. He said several things today that I was a little bit uh, surprised that he was that sophisticated. I think I his think... language now. Let me assure you, his language is not that sophisticated. Okay. But his thinking processes and what he was what he was intended to say. We had been able to communicate with Charlie more than we'd expected going into the interview. But at the same time, because of our assumptions about what Charlie had been trying to tell us, it took us a long time to finally hear what Charlie actually had to say. I mean, I think we're kind of guilty of exactly what the police were doing in a way. Like yesterday, we thought we were understanding maybe more than we were. We understood parts of it. We didn't understand the bigger context. Right. We didn't understand there were two, two deaths by guns. No, I didn't either. And he kept, I thought, this is so confusing. Like, we knew he was saying Brian killed Brian, but we didn't know that he thought Brian was the boy that died at his house. Yeah. So the whole, like, our whole framework for questioning him was just wrong. After talking to Charlie and Wayne, we had some of the context we'd been missing, but there was still a lot we didn't understand. I mean, is there any way to look up at least the case of this yeah, coral guy? Yeah, we to find it. Yeah. Like, was it deemed a suicide? Was it not? What happened? I mean, it, he did seem to go into it in detail as far as yeah. opening the drawer, saying no, and he shot him. Shake. Once we had gotten back from Floyd County, we called Kevin to update him on our interview with Charlie. So Charlie saw someone commit suicide in his house. It's hard to tell if he's describing a suicide or um, a gun accident, but he described how the boy took a gun out of a drawer and Char Charlie's there and he's like, no, 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 stop, don't do that, don't do that. But the boy, or young man doesn't listen or intentionally kills himself. And Charlie seemed to, like the way he was explaining it, it was a shot in the mouth. Jesus Christ, okay. Kevin asked the obvious question. Who was the boy who died at the Childers' house? We didn't have an answer for him. All we know about it is that it happened, both Charlie and Wayne agree, it happened one at their house on Rockmart Highway. Two, it occurred before Brian Bowling's death. And three, according to Wayne, it was the death of someone named Greg Coral. Now, unfortunately, Wayne could not spell the name for me. And the way the Southern accent pronounces Coral leaves a lot of possibilities about what that would actually be. 
A few weeks later, on another Zoom call with Jacinda and Kevin, I told them I finally had an update. I knew who the boy had been. In the end, I had to go through the Social Security Death Index and look up every male who died under the age of 20 in Floyd County from like 1970 to like 1985. How long did that take you? It took forever because I cross-referenced with the newspaper articles that I could find to document their deaths. So in the end, I finally stumbled across Jerry Ronnie Quarles, who at 12 died of a gunshot. And that was it. So by by going through like yeah. this enormous list of the people who were killed, you pieced together who it was. Um, you know that's mental, right? That you did it that? It worked. <laughs> On the evening of December 29th, 1976, 12-year-old Ronnie Quarles was shot while at the children's home. The similarities between Ronnie's death and Brian's are striking. Both Ronnie and Brian had been sitting on a bed, hanging out with friends when they were shot in the head. Both boys initially survived and were transported to the hospital, but were pronounced dead the following day. Charlie and Wayne Childers had been present in the house when both shootings occurred. And in the minutes leading up to both shootings, Charlie had been in a different room, watching TV. But there was one huge difference between the two shootings. So here's um, the Rome News Tribune article. Now, this is allegedly Charlie talking. I walked in the bedroom where the boys were playing and saw Ronnie looking at the rifles in the gun case. The glass doors were open, and I was afraid the boys might get the guns out and hurt themselves. I motioned him away from the gun case and closed the glass doors, and he returned to the bed to play checkers. The drawer of the gun case was partially opened, and I saw our handgun there in its holster. I took it out of the drawer and removed the clip from the bottom of the handgun. I felt nothing in the gun, and I shook it to make sure it was empty. A mistake. The gun went off. It was Charlie Childers who killed Ronnie Quarles. It turns out the gun had been in Charlie's hand when it went off. Or at least, that's what the coroner's inquest had concluded. On the night Ronnie was shot, he and a boy named Joe Highfield had been visiting the Childers. Wayne had been playing with Ronnie and Joe. Charlie, who was several years older, had also been home. According to an article about the inquest, quote, the three younger boys were playing a game of checkers on the bed when the accident occurred, end quote. We hadn't realized it when we'd spoken to Charlie, but this matched exactly with what Charlie had been telling us. But that night, who was in Brian's bedroom playing with Brian? Yeah. There were three guys in there playing. Three boys sitting on a bed playing a game. Charlie had been talking about Ronnie Quarles all along, not Brian Bowling. The third boy Charlie had mentioned had nothing to do with Brian's death. After learning what had happened to Ronnie, many of the things that Charlie told us that we hadn't understood finally clicked into place. Brian's brother was mad. Yeah, and blaming me, Kenneth. Said, no, no, stay away. Said, no, I don't, I don't know. His brother, no, they no. said, no, you stay over here. You leave, no. get out of here, pull no. him away. Stop no, him. don't want you to no, fight. No. no, don't fight anybody. Brian Bowling didn't have a brother, but Ronnie Quarles did. His brother's name was Greg. And it made perfect sense now why Greg would have been angry and blaming Charlie. He had the names confused, which is why we thought he was talking about Brian Bowling. But if you ignore the name confusion, everything else Charlie says is right. To find out more about Ronnie, we talked to his mother, Shirley. So what happened is Ronnie wanted to go over there and visit. They were all at over there where Charlie and Wayne were at their house. So then uh, he went over there, and of course that's the last time I ever saw him alive. He got shot there in the back of the head. When Charlie had told us where Brian lived, he had pointed up the hill to the trailer on the hill behind Pleasant Hope Church. In 1996, that's where Kane's story had lived, which is why when we spoke to Charlie, we thought he'd simply been confused and gotten Brian's home and Kane's home mixed up. 
But after talking to Ronnie's mother, we realized that Charlie had been right all along. Well, that's where we lived, behind the Pleasant Hope Church. And Ronnie had been buried in a cemetery in Bartow County, again, just like Charlie had told us. Every time Charlie had been talking about Brian, he'd been describing Ronnie Quarles. Rather than have the police investigate the shooting, the case was given to the coroner, who held a coroner's inquest. Today, coroner's inquests don't happen often. But a few decades ago, it's how many cases were resolved in Floyd County. The coroner would impanel a jury, present evidence, and leave it to them to decide the cause of death. Did you testify at the coroner's jury? Yes. What did they ask you about? I guess they just wanted to know if I thought it was accidental. And I told them what I've told you, that Charlie loved Ronnie. He would never have hurt him on purpose. And I don't know who else was there or what else might have happened, but I don't think Charlie would ever have hurt Ronnie. Did Charlie seem worried that he was going to get in trouble? Yes, he was terrified. He was. How did he express that? He was afraid because he couldn't communicate, I think, is why he was so afraid. The police had taken him in. He didn't know what was happening or what would happen to him. The coroner's jury concluded that Charlie Childers had accidentally killed Ronnie Quarles. No further action was taken in the case. But all of this is very different from what Charlie and Wayne had told us. Charlie had said over and over again that the boy who died at his house had shot himself after Charlie had tried but failed to stop him. And Wayne told me that Charlie hadn't even been in the room when the shooting occurred. And he wouldn't even think about it. Very cool. So he wasn't even there when Greg Coral was shot? Yeah, he wasn't even there. When we spoke to Charlie, he never once indicated that he had been the one to shoot the boy in his house. Despite the record of what he'd supposedly testified to at the coroner's inquest, Charlie seemed oblivious to the fact that, at least according to the official record, he had been the one who killed Ronnie. Lisa, said, what happened here? And I said, I don't know. It was, uh, he shot himself. That's all I know. We, I said, well, I didn't have anything to do with it. It wasn't me, it was them. And the police said, okay. And I, they said, it's all right. Police talked to them for a while, and they talked to them, asked me if I did, had anything to do with it, and I said, no, it was all Brian, he did it. Yeah. Yeah. I told Ronnie's mother that the version of events I'd heard from Charlie and Wayne seemed to be at odds with the official record. When I found the articles that said that he shot him, I was kind of shocked because that's not what I understood Charlie to have tried to tell us. Well, that's the story that was told at the time, is that he had unloaded the gun and he shook it and there was still a bullet in the chamber. When I spoke to Wayne, Wayne told me he was not in the house when your son died. Who was playing checkers with Ronnie? He didn't mention that. He just said, I was not there in the house. I don't know what happened. I was told that he and Ronnie were sitting on the bed playing checkers and that Ronnie was laughing and said, I've got you now, and he jumped the last man that Wayne had, and then about that time he got shot in the back of the head. So Ronnie had just won the game. Not everyone was so confident, though, that Ronnie's death had been an accident. There had been doubts about whether Charlie had truly been the one holding the gun when it went off. Did you think the police took the investigation seriously when this happened? My husband at the time didn't think so. He didn't think it was an accident. We wound up getting divorced over it because I did not want to prosecute Charlie. Yeah, I just, I, I, Wayne was so insistent he wasn't there at all. And all the reports say he was. I know, and Wayne, Wayne, I, I think they're still very protective of each other, Wayne and Charlie. And no, I think Charlie's protective of Wayne. You think Charlie's protective He's the older Wayne? brother. Not long after Ronnie Quarles died, Charlie Childers left the Georgia school for the deaf. His mother isolated him from the deaf community, effectively cutting off his ability to communicate with the outside world. 45 years later, Ronnie's death still weighs heavily on Charlie's mind. So much so that when a group of strangers showed up at his doorstep, he thought that is what we wanted to ask him about. He tried to tell us all about it. I don't know what happened to Ronnie Quarles. The only other witness, the third boy in the room when the shooting happened, has since passed away. But after talking to Charlie with the assistance of Mike Burton, here's what I am confident of. 
On the night Brian Bowling was shot, Charlie didn't see anyone outside running by the Bowling's trailer. And there is no remaining evidence whatsoever that Lee Clark had anything to do with the death of Brian Bowling. Next week on Proof, and the final episode covering our investigation in this case. My name is Craig Burns. I am returning a call to you, and I am going to see in what limited capacity I can try to help you. If these boys would have been big football player, quarterback, well known, they wouldn't have went to jail, but these just two old redneck boys, country boys, that's what they were, you know what I'm saying? So they didn't stand out in the public eye, you know? And uh, yeah, I was, I was ill for pissed off for a long time. I just heard about it later on, and they may have a private insurance policy on them, and you know, the victim's impact fund, all that other stuff, so I really don't know. You've been listening to Proof, a podcast by Red Marble Media. We'll be back next Monday for episode 14. Send us your questions at proofcrimepod at gmail.com. We'll respond during our bonus episodes, Proof Sidebar, on Thursdays. Kevin Fitzpatrick is our executive producer. Our logo was designed by Drew Hosuski. And our theme music is by Ramiro Marquez. Audio production for this episode is by George Panos and Michael Yulatowski. Production assistance provided by Jude Slava. Our social media manager is Skylar Park. Thank you to our sponsors for making it possible for us to come back week after week. Follow us everywhere with the handle at ProofCrimePod and on our website, ProofCrimePod.com. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening.